0: Welcome to This Is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a Dallas-based wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the Texas wine industry. I review Texas wine news and bring you the interviews, education, and information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thank you for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode ten. Today, I'm talking with Jason Hysaw, who's the Texas wine ambassador, as well as the Texas portfolio manager. At RNDC, we talk about what he's doing to promote Texas wine across the state. Jason talks about his deep love for Texas barbecue and why he thinks wine is a worthy beverage for this traditional Texas delicacy. We share our excitement over the Texas State Fair mixed case of Texas wine. Then I take a deep dive into Texas Vermentino. I'm drinking the Dukeman Family Winery Vermentino. But first, Texas wineries are in the news. Two great magazines featured Texas wineries this month, and I was thrilled to receive my D Magazine this weekend. As promised, it has a cover story by Eve Hill Agnes that announces Texas wine country in bright red letters. It also says, Road Trip. There's a picture of Kristen and Mike Nelsons, two adorable little girls, and Kristen is driving a little golf cart through the vineyard. And the photo caption says Kristen and Mike Nelson left Dallas to start Ab Astris Winery in Stonewall, Texas. Their girls love to survey the vines. And inside there is a gorgeous 14 page spread all about the Texas wine country. There's the same photo inside, and the article is called Crazy Kinda Crush. And Eve Hill Agnes says, I took a road trip to Texas Hill Country at the height of harvest to track down an elusive young winemaker. What I discovered was a wild new scene. The photo caption on that page has some more information about the Nelsons. It says, Mom Kristen, a former school teacher, and Dad Mike, a former corporate attorney in Dallas, moved to Fredericksburg for a change of scenery. Mike, a Jesuit Dallas grad and a lover of Latin, named the family winery Abastris, meaning from the stars. So Eve was in the Hill Country just before I was. She was there also during harvest, and like me, she harvested grapes at Abastris. The young winemaker that she was going down to visit is Regan Metter of South Hold Farm and Cellars. Regan requested that they do an interview in person, so Eve headed down ...to conduct that interview. Now, Eve has been in Dallas for about 10 years, and she said she wanted to see what has changed in Texas wine in that much time. She certainly knows her wine. Eve is half French, and she grew up in France with a grandmother who has a house near Sancerre in the Loire Valley. She moved to Texas from the San Francisco Bay Area, and she's a dining critic for D Magazine. You can tell by reading what she writes about restaurants that she loves wine. Wine is never an afterthought when you read her articles. This is really a beautiful spread, and I am going to encourage that you pick up your own copy, but I'm also going to tell you about it. Eve says that there have been some generations and cycles in Texas wine, from the earliest days to those who planted grapes that may not have been suitable for the Texas weather. And now, starting in the 2000s, farmers are planting varieties that are more suited for our rugged and unforgiving climate, she says, and those are, those are grapes from southern France, Italy, and Spain. She says that although it's not easy, that although there's little infrastructure, and although the weather is unpredictable, and that can certainly wreak havoc, still winemakers have a new focus on single vineyard and terroir-driven wines, and they're no longer hiding or blending AVAs, she says, but they're labeling growers. And she names several growers, including Newsom, Reddy, Bingham, Oswald, and Nara. She acknowledges that Texas winemakers have a goal of making the wine industry more integrated and transparent, and acknowledges that they're still figuring out what grows well to make wines with a sense of place. This is my favorite paragraph. She says they're going to tell you about site-specific wines from the High Plains, where most Texas grapes are grown, You don't know where that is? Well, you should know, they'll say. Not only the High Plains, but this grower and this vineyard. And you've never heard of Cow or Malvasia Bianca? Well, that's fine. They'll still label them as single varietals because this is what thrives here. And they'll trust that you will learn. So when they ask, do you want to help harvest Claret Blanche? You simply say yes. She also says that one of her motivations for harvesting Claret Blanche was that she wanted to meet John Rivenberg, the mysterious figure who's behind every reference she's heard to Tanat. It sounds like she had a very big, it sounds like she had a very busy schedule running from place to place, dashing to meet winemakers who were introducing brand new varieties to the state. She was going from tank room tasting pre-fermented, just-crushed juice She was tasting wine that was halfway through fermentation. She was tasting wine that had just been bottled. She was also sampling special projects that were being kept secret from winery owners, but were going to be delicious. She said you could just tell. All this time, she had not yet made a connection with Regan Meter. Of course, it was in the middle of harvest, so I'm sure he was very busy. But she decided to just go on up to South Hold, I guess, to see if she could track him down And when she got there, she was completely smitten with the Enchanted House, and she got to meet Adrienne Ballou, whose career she had been following. So it's unclear if she ever got her interview, but it sounds like Eve had a great time in the Texas Hill Country. She admits that she's taking home bottles of new varietals and stories of innovative collectives. She mentions two different collaborative research-focused incubators, She's referring to the Slate Mill Wine Collective and also Kerrville Hills. So I think it's two thumbs up from Eve. The fo- that's just on two of the pages. The following pages give all kinds of suggestions on where you should visit on your Texas wine country road trip. And she doesn't just kind of tell you where to go and what to taste, but she gives some history and some context for her suggestions She gives a nod to pioneers like Becker. She talks about the rebels, Spicewood Vineyards and Ron Yates. She calls Coleman Cellars the geologists and Croson Wines the minimalist. Bending Branch Winery is called the chemist. And Lost Draw Cellars, the High Plains Drifter. Of course, she made a great connection with Ben Calais, a fellow Native of France, and she's labeled him the mad genius. There's a write up on South Farm and Cellars, the Long Island Transplants. The innovators at Abastris. Eve calls Dukeman perfectionists because she says many, myself included, considered Dukeman, Vermentino, and Montepulciano to be wines that changed their view of Texas winemaking. She calls William Chris Vineyards the Mentors because numerous scene-broadening winemakers get their start here. The sophisticates, Peternalis Cellars, and the Iberian Explorer at Lewis Wines. There's also a sidebar of Wineries to Know outside of the Hill Country. And she mentions McPherson Cellars out at the high, in the High Plains, Brennan Vineyards in Comanche, Eden Hill Winery. In Salina and Hack Vineyards in Santa Fe outside of Houston. She also mentions the Umbrella, Slate Mill Wine Collective, and the Groundbreakers, Fall Creek Vineyard. There's a one page guide to 18 grape varietals to know. Now, you've heard me say for a while that it's common in other parts of the state that the Texas wine industry probably gets cover stories, but it's not something we see often in Dallas. So I'm loving this edition of D Magazine, and I hope that it encourages some people in Dallas who may not have given Texas wine a chance lately to give it another look. I hope this edition of D Magazine sells really well so that they will continue their coverage of Texas wine. But Eve has done such a great job on this story that I'm guessing my chances of ever writing for D Magazine are probably history. Next up, the September-October 2020 edition of Edible Austin has an article on the road to a Texas wine lover's heart, and Christy Willis highlights many of the innovative wineries that are located in the Texas Hill Country. She features 4.0 sellers, Becker, Calais, and French Connection wines, Coleman Sellers, Lost Straw Cellars, Messina Hoff, Peternalis, Ron Yates, Slate Mill Wine Collective, South Hold, West Cave, and William Chris. Check it out. Save Texas Wineries, the political action committee that was formed this summer, has been sharing a lot of interesting statistics on social media. Its stated purpose is to support candidates and office holders who share our vision of a Texas with laws that promote rather than inhibit the growth and prosperity of the Texas wine industry and to encourage public support of the industry and related businesses. There are currently 36 wineries and 10 supporting organizations and businesses listed on the website. The group has been sharing information on social media, and a few of the statistics that they've been sharing have been really troubling. The first one that caught my eye was on September the 9th. The post stated that 57.1% of Texas wineries say that they could go out of business within the next year. The following day, the statistics said 72.4% of wineries have lost over half of their revenue due to COVID. And finally, another post said over half of Texas wineries surveyed have had to lay off or furlough employees due to COVID. The full survey hasn't been made public, so I'm not sure which wineries were surveyed, but these results are certainly concerning. Find out how you can get involved at SaveTexasWineries.org. Central Market is a foodie wonderland, and the stores generally have a great wine selection, too. There's a 20% off sale on Texas wine through October 6th. Austin North Lamar is the Central Market flagship store, but the the photos I saw of the Texas wine section at the Austin Westgate store made me drool. Central Market carries different Texas wines than HEB, including some smaller production labels. And they bring in special Texas wines just for this event. At that Westgate store, I saw wines from the Austin Winery, Southhold Farm and Cellars, and Beau Salling's label Texoire. You'll also find Lewis Wines, C.L. Buteau, Dandy Rosé, Grower Project, Pontotoc, Vineyards, Lost Draw Cellars, Ready Vineyards, William Chris Peternalis, and more. No, this isn't an ad for Central Market, but I do feel compelled to tell you about this awesome selection and discount. The selection varies by store. Each store was offered a package, but they were able to customize which wines and how many to bring in. I was there yesterday, and some of the wines were already sold out. Now finally, I hinted on the last podcast that there was a big Texas wine announcement coming. By now, I hope you've seen the news from the State Fair of Texas that they've named 12 Blue Ribbon Selections and are offering a case of Texas wine that you can order. Not only that, you can sign up to participate in winemaker virtual tastings that start on September 30th. You can participate in the calls even if you don't buy the wine. Just sign up on the website. I'll link to it in the show notes. I wrote a short article for the Texas Wine Lover website that details how this case came together. Heather Queen of the Queen of Grapes and the Texas Wine Ambassador Jason Hysaw of RNDC and I selected the wines that are included. This is a great opportunity to get a wide array of Texas wines that are usually difficult to source all in one place. The cost is $300 and you may use the code BIGTEX to get free shipping. Jason Hysaw is my guest on today's podcast. And that wraps up the Texas Wine News. Last week, I introduced a fun new giveaway that I'm sending out to people that sign up for my monthly email newsletter. It's a Texas wine quiz, and it also has the answers so you can check yourself. In just 10 questions, you can identify if you're a Texas wine expert, and if you're ready to go to work in a Texas winery tasting room. Sign up for the newsletter on the website, www.thisistexaswine.com. You'll see the button for newsletter sign up. And if you have any questions that you'd like to have answered on the show, please send them my way. When I get enough, I'm planning a listener questions episode. My email is texaswinepod at gmail.com. Texas is perhaps the only state to have an official wine ambassador. Jason Hysaw is the lucky person that holds that honorary title. He's also the Texas portfolio manager for RNDC, the distribution company with the largest portfolio of Texas wines. So Jason is all in on Texas wine. I had the opportunity to profile Jason for a Texas wine lover story, and I've also gotten to know Jason through volunteering with Texom. He's an advanced sommelier who spent a lot of time serving guests at Pappas in Dallas, so he understands wine service and theory as well as distribution. Here's Jason. Jason, if you could just start by telling us what exactly is a Texas wine ambassador?
1: So a Texas Wine Ambassador is kind of a, a position that I thought of while I was driving all over the great state of Texas, promoting Texas wine and putting uh, Texas wine on wine lists across the state of Texas. So uh, I had a couple connections that got me in touch with the Texas Department of Agriculture. And I pitched the idea to them of basically being an ambassador for the Texas wine indus- industry on behalf of the TDA and championing restaurants to put more Texas wine on wine lists and if they came up with a certain criteria, which was uh, two or three Texas wines by the glass and two or three Texas wines by the bottle, then they got a certificate from the Texas Department of Agriculture with Commissioner Miller's signature on it, the, uh, the TDA seal on it, and a photo op with yours truly. So it's a, it was it's a great program. I think it's still um, going well. I think it it kind of took off. Uh, we had twenty different restaurants get it recently, and. Hopefully, as this moves forward, we'll continue to add to that roster.
0: Well, I have seen that you've been out and about a little bit, but I know it's been a really hard time for restaurants lately. So I'm guessing a lot of restaurants aren't adding a lot of Texas wines lately, but perhaps there have been a few bright spots here and there. And maybe they're about to start purchasing more wines and adding on the wine list.
1: Yeah. It's, and it's been, it's kind of this double-edged sword because I guess obviously with restaurants being, you know, in the state that they are, we're finally re- reopening more um, and restaurants are getting busier again. I unfortunately have not been traveling as much as I was prior to the pandemic coming in. So I've been doing a lot of things within the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but still doing things, you know, via Zoom calls and phone calls and still trying to promote Texas wine across Texas. Um, but This is, again, I think a great time for Texas wine right now because people are truly wanting to support local, eat local, drink local. And so my thoughts to them are, you know, put Texas wine on your wine list because people are seeking those things that are local. And the price points for Texas wines are, uh, you know, very attractive at this time when people are trying to save money, they're not going out as much. And when they do finally get to go out and enjoy a bottle of wine, out at a restaurant. They're not having to spend a ton of money on Texas wines. They are able to buy a bottle of white, a bottle of red, and have those wines be a more, you know, of that affordable price range during a time when people are trying to save a little money.
0: That's great. And I think that because people aren't traveling, it's also a great time to look at visiting some wineries that are perhaps near you.
1: Yes, of course. You're not going on that summer vacation or you're not, you know, traveling across the pond to, to Europe to go visit wineries. You can go down to the Hill Country. You can go up to the High Plains of Texas. People forget that, you know, the majority of the Texas fruit has grown up in the Lubbock area. So while it might not be as attractive to drive to Lubbock for the weekend, I think there's still plenty to do up in the High Plains and go truly visit those vineyards and meet the growers and meet some of the winemakers. Hill Country is a lot of fun, and Fredericksburg is kind of where it's at with the B&Bs and the restaurants. But You know, I always say, if you really, truly want to understand Texas wine, you have to visit both Hill Country and and the the High Plains as well.
0: I'm anxious to get out there. My husband went to Texas Tech, and the one time I've been out there, he took me to a winery, but it was before I was really into Texas wine. Mm -hmm. So I must go back. But also, we're soon to be on the beginning of Texas Wine Month, starting in Mm -hmm. October. And even closer to home, I know the North Texas Wine Country is still hosting a passport event. Mm -hmm. And there are, I think, 28 participating wineries right around here. There's a lot going on in Grapevine. Yeah, the Lone
1: Star Star is coming up as well, the Lone Star Wine Competition. So there's still a lot of happening in the Texas wine industry, which is great to see. And, you know, I think the the wineries itself hit a little bit of a snag with, you know, just a slowdown of not being able to have, you know, as many guests come to their wineries. But they've been killing it with to-go and, you know, patio-side purchases and enjoyment out there. So. And I think now the tasting rooms are starting to reopen um, more, so it's great to see for the for the wineries.
0: Do you have any particular plans for October and Texas Wine Month?
1: I'll probably do. I've got a few dinners lined up that I've been asked to speak at. Uh, as far as DFW restaurants, um, I'll be part of the Lone Star Wine Competition, um, judging some of the Texas wines and helping out with the uh, Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association. So uh, the calendar's filling up, but I think that's what I'm trying to do more is hey, you know, let's. Uh, especially in my side of the business, which is distribution, uh, really trying to go to those reps and saying, hey, October is Texas wine month. Let's remember to at least pitch some Texas wines while you're pitching other wines uh, to, to restaurateurs and sommeliers.
0: August looked different for you because for the past many years, you've been part of the Texas Som Sommelier Convention, mm-hmm. and this year it was canceled because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure people understand what a tremendous platform that is for Texas wine. And since you've been involved from the beginning, mm-hmm. maybe you can say a little bit about how Texas wines have been um, showcased and promoted at that event not only behind the scenes, but also from the stage and kind of what a lost opportunity that was
1: this year. Sure. And again, like I've been part of Texon for the last 14 years. So this was a very weird August for me, not spending a week at the four seasons, seeing people that I, that I miss and, you know, only get to see once or twice a year. So it was, it was hard not to do um, TechSum this year. I understand obviously why we had to postpone it until next year, um, but it'll, we'll be back. We'll be back bigger than ever. Um, I know there's already plans. I talked to James Tidwell, the, one of the co-founders, multiple times a week. So I know there are going to be some good things coming up next year. But as far as Texas wines, it, I know for in 2019, we had quite a few Texas wines in seminars. Um, we had, you know, in the Temper Neo seminar, we had a couple Texas wines. Um, in some of the dessert seminars, we had some Texas wine. So I think Texas wine as a whole was very uh, relevant in the seminars at Texom. And then, like you said, behind the scenes, we were able to have a Texas wine polishing party. Uh, for those that don't know what that is for your listeners, uh, we have to polish about, what is it, 14,000 pieces of stemware three times over the course of the week. So uh, 20, was that? that's more than 20, that's I call it 40,000 glasses over the course of a week. Um, So we have uh, what we call a polishing party where uh, suppliers or wineries will come together and offer food and wine and give the volunteers something to enjoy while they're polishing all that uh, glassware. So last year, um, 2019, we were able to have a Texas wine polishing party where a lot of we had five different uh, Texas wineries represented and it was great because sommeliers from across the country and across the world were tasting Texas wine for the first time and i can't tell you how many phone calls or emails that i got after that polishing party going wow like where do we get these how do we get these as far as new york and oklahoma and and just it was great to see the the reaction of sommeliers who truly know and love great wine recognizing texas wines as an exciting wine region and deserving the respect and recognition as other wine growing regions around the world.
0: And what do you tell them about how they get the wine?
1: It's obviously very easy in Texas because, um, you know, Texans consume about 95% of what we produce in the great state of Texas. But if we have, again, speaking on, on the RNDC side, if we have partners in other states, which we have obviously, multiple um, areas and other states that we are part of. It. And so if I can get, uh, if the wineries have the wine and they want to expand outside of Texas, then I can help facilitate that. But um, it was great to see just other sommeliers just going on websites and purchasing wine as well. So maybe the uh, distribution network is not outside of Texas for some of those wineries yet, but that's not to say it won't happen in the near future.
0: We can at least whet their appetite for when exactly. it might be available in their area. Yeah. Well, They're interested
1: good. in and, in, and, and, My biggest thing is they got to see what Texas is capable of, which
0: is great. Well, I thought of you recently because I watched the Netflix show Chef's Table Mm Barbecue and Mm -hmm. I saw um, Miss Tootsie at Snow's Barbecue. And you have made quite the name for yourself in Texas barbecue and Texas wine pairing. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I thought of you as she was sitting there drinking her Dr. Pepper with her barbecue. (laughs) Of course, And also, I saw that you had a recent article in the Dallas Morning News about Texas wine and barbecue pairings. Yeah. And so my question for you is when you're thinking about how to pair barbecue, but really any food, where do you start? Do you start with flavors in the wine or tannins or acid or, or where do you even begin?
1: Focusing on the barbecue side. I, I barbecue is one of those you know slow crafted. People like to think barbecue is just his comfort food or something that's very casual. And it, while it can be, but if you think about the time and effort it goes into producing one of those briskets, you're looking at, you know, 18 hours on the smoker, you're spritzing it, you're wrapping it. I mean, that's truly a craft. And the, the time and effort that goes into producing that one brisket is, you know, I don't want to say equivalent, but it is equivalent to, you know, a Michelin, you know, star chef producing their, you know, their, their cuisine at a Michelin star restaurant. And so it's great to see a lot of, you know, these pit masters now being nominated by the James Beard foundation. Um, Rodney Scott in South Carolina was nominated. Aaron Franklin was or excuse me, uh, one, uh, both of those gentlemen, won. this Tootsie uh, was nominated for a James Beard award. So having barbecue recognized as truly, you know, a cuisine um, and then why not pair it with a wine? I think in Texas, you know, beer and big red and Dr. Pepper, the official drinks of, barbecue, but I think we're in a state now where wine is an acceptable pairing. You know, what's the difference if you're paying, you know, $22 a pound for prime brisket? And why wouldn't you pair that with, you know, a bigger, fuller, richer bodied red, as opposed to if you're going to go to a steakhouse and spend $50 on a dried ribeye? You know, I think know you know, people like to just think that it's, again, casual, but at the end of the day, it's still a great pairing. So you can find Uh, For me, it's always about what aspects of the barbecue or what aspects of the cuisine would match well with those wines. So in Texas, we're very fortunate because we grow a lot of Mediterranean varietals, Italian varietals um, with with some acidity to it. So it's going to cut through that richness of that barbecue. Um, And it's great to see um, restaurants, barbecue restaurants as a whole, partaking in wine now. Now, I know my friends at Terry Black's, Mike and uh, Mark Black are both Texas wine champions at both Dallas and, and Austin for their location. So they have a great Texas wine program. There's other barbecue restaurants across the state of Texas that have wine. Um, it may not be an extensive list like some of the other restaurants, um, but even uh, Clay Cowgill, who was uh, featured in that chef's table uh, show with Miss Tootsie, he was a co-presenter with me at the Austin food and wine uh, festival uh, for doing Texas barbecue and Texas wine. So, uh, it was great to have him on there as well, and kind of get that, you know, different pitmaster versus sommelier. You know, what would you pair with this? And again, I think barbecue and wine is now a very accepted pairing.
0: I know some of the Salt Lake wines have done well in the past in the Texas Wine Competition
1: too. Yeah, they sure have. They're uh they uh, the Salt Lake barbecue is an icon in Driftwood, and usually a lot of people's first experience with Texas barbecue. They have a big open pit. Um, and they have those Salt Lake vineyards right in the in their backyard. So uh, lots of different wineries are sourcing that Salt Lake fruit. I know Fall Creek is, is definitely one of them where they have the Salt Lake Tempranillo, the Salt Lake Syrah, the Salt Lake um, GSM. So it's great kind of putting a sense of place to those people who go to Salt Lake barbecue and say, hey, you know, those vines in the parking lot, those are actually – you know, a sense of place and they can say, oh, I've seen those vines. And I'm like, that's great. You're drinking that fruit right now. You're drinking the wine that came from that vineyard. So it kind of, you know, when people go to Napa Valley and they and they recognize a certain famous vineyard like Tocolon and Oakville, they can kind of, you know, at least give them that sense of place of, oh, I've been there, I've seen those vines, and now I'm drinking that single vineyard wine in Texas.
0: I know that you do a lot of barbecue at your own home, and I'm guessing you have some really fine wine that is paired and you probably have some incredible crystal glassware that goes alongside. But on a Saturday, when you go stand in line somewhere, I'm guessing you don't carry along
1: special no, that's glassware. Why they, no, that's why that's why. those Go Vinos are so uh, so convenient <laughs> because they don't, they don't shatter and they can still uh, accentuate the wine characteristics. And um, I don't travel. I used to travel with fancy stemware, but not anymore. There's just, there's no need for it. There's too many, uh, good little disposable tiles of glasses to enjoy wine with barbecue.
0: You'd probably get some crazy side eyes too, I'm guessing.
1: I normally do.
0: (laughs) Well, we're just coming off of an interesting harvest. I know in the high plains with the the freeze that happened in late October, but it sounds like there's a real special focus on the Texas Hill Country fruit this year. Um, Any interesting stories that you've seen in your travels or heard about from this year's harvest?
1: Yeah. And I've talked to quite a few different winery owners and and grape growers and winemakers and yeah, 2020 will go down as one of the more difficult vintages. Um, And just difficult being like you talked about the freeze um, last October in 2019 that um, gave us a lot less fruit than uh, the previous vintage. So um, while it will be a short vintage, the quality is definitely there. Um, So again, it's what mother nature always gives us. You never know what she's going to give year to year. And uh, we're very fortunate to have still fruit come in. The fruit quality is great. Um, so again, I think, you know, it's an agricultural product. You never know what you're going to get. But uh, while it is definitely a shorter vintage, I think a lot of the grape growers and the winemakers are very pleased with what they got. There'll just be a little bit less wine than there was in the in 2019.
0: I was so pleased to have been asked with you and Heather Queen to help put together a case of Texas wine for the state fair. It's a bummer that the fair was canceled, but Mm -hmm. at least people have the opportunity to purchase some state fair Texas blue ribbon wine and um, do a little DIY wine garden in their own homes. So do you want to Talk about a couple of those special wines that
1: are your favorites. Yeah, so the mixed case, um, and I actually just uh, looked at some of the sales uh, going over to Roots and Water. So it looks like people are starting to buy the cases, which is great to see. Um, Like you said, the the Texas Wine Garden, which is um, very much a staple of the Texas State Fair, is not happening just due to what is going on in the world. But people have that option to go buy the wines, go home. There's going to be different webinars with different winemakers, and Texas – Texas, I think, either grape growers, winemakers, winery owners, so they're going to be doing those seminars so um, they can get some information about the wines that they're enjoying. The ones that some of the ones that I suggested was the Fall Creek Sauvignon Blanc from Escondido Valley that was chosen, Uh, the McPherson Sparkling Chenin Blanc, uh, which is a great little aperitif wine to get them started. Love that Um, one. Yep, the uh, Yano eighteen thirty six, which is a classic Texas um, red blend. Coming a lot from the high plains, but even further west, like Del City, um, is where that eighteen thirty six, and definitely one that I love to show in um, restaurants. It's you know kind of that that fuller, richer style of red blend um, cab, merlot, knot goes extremely well with food. And then the Dukeman, uh, the Montepulciano, which um, for those that are listening that don't know about Dukeman, focus majority on Italian varieties. Um, Montepulciano, a very bright red, juicy, um, higher acid red wine that I think is going to go um, great with whatever they're pairing at home. And it's, uh, I've been seeing a lot on social media, a lot of the Dallas-Fort Worth restaurants are doing state fair fair. So you can go to restaurants um, that are participating. I know the Ranch at Las Colinas, Haywire is uh, uh, participating, where you can go get a chicken fried steak and go get some corn dogs. You can go get some fried Oreos and take that home and enjoy it with your with your Texas wine from the Texas Wine Garden.
0: I was thinking what would be a good wine pairing with a corn dog and I have to say I think the sparkling Chenin Blanc might be our best bet
1: I think you I would agree with you because there's that slight sweetness from the batter and there's that acid from the uh, from the uh, sparkling wine and you definitely want that bubble to kind of clean your palate because when you go to the state fair everything is completely rich and and lots of, lots of fried goodness so you're gonna mm-hmm. want something that's going to clean your palate and probably some elka seltzer after that
0: right? And a lot of walking. Exactly. I, I thought it was interesting that, that all three of us picked uh, some red blends in the mix. Mm-hmm. Six out of the 12 bottles are blends. I'm including the rosé. It's also a blend. Mm-hmm. Tell me, wh- what is your opinion about, about blending in general? And is that more important in Texas than in other wine regions, do you think? And why is that beneficial to a, a winemaker?
1: I think it's a two-part answer. I think red blends as a whole is a very hot category. Um, I think, you know, I think if you go to wine regions in California and any, I mean, just about anywhere in the world, you're going to see a lot of red blends. Um, and again, red blends as a whole, I think is, is a, is now a category itself that sells very well. You know, people are like, oh, I love a big red blend. You know, I think there's some well-known producers that kind of moved that into that category to make that a very, um, easy thing to ask for is just a red blend. Um, so I think as a whole, red blends are um, easy to order. They're easy to say because you're just saying red blend. Um, I think for Texas, you know, if you get into certain varieties, maybe a little bit harder to say, or people haven't heard of before, use example, Morvedra, Carignan, you know, Cinso, um, things that are not necessarily as, um, as recognized as Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec. So I think, you know, while wineries are not going to necessarily make a red blend just because of that fact alone, I think, you know, it does help to sell more wine because people, you know, identify with what a red blend is. You know, I think that's why Sangiovese and Tempranillo are becoming so popular because people have either heard of it or know how to say it. Um, And that's why I think it's, you know, acceptable and more on the growing side of of that category. But again, it depends on the winemaker as well. If you're going to have you know, if you got a great, uh, you know, Sangiovese, Multiple Ciano, and you're going to do an Italian red blend, then, then why not call it just that? And, and it, those certain great varietals add to each characteristic of the wine. So you're going to have a little bit more tannin here, a little more acid here, a little more body, and just kind of create that wine that you're wanting to do.
0: That's great. And I think that um, in the new world, we think about red blends as being a hot new thing, but in in some traditional wine regions from around the world, they're the most historic and oldest types of wine you can imagine.
1: Absolutely, it is.
0: Well, I'm excited about a number of these wines and I can't wait to get my case. And um, there was an article this week that I wrote for Texas wine lover just um, yep,
1: I saw detailing
0: it. all the wines and mm-hmm. telling people how to get, get a hold of those if they want to try those because the tastings start soon, I think on the 30th, Wednesday, yep. the 30th and they go for four consecutive weeks and each week there are different wines that are being featured. So you don't have to open all 12 wines in one week. You can, I think it's three at a time. So yeah. taste three, three at a time.
1: And I think it's a great way to for, for your listeners and whoever purchases those cases to really see what Texas is capable of through 12 bottles and not just one producer and not just one region, but a wide variety of producers, a wide variety of uh, growing regions and different styles of wine. So it's for a case to have that ability is a great thing for anybody to try Texas wines. And again, these are some amazing wines as a whole
0: and I could put together another case of 12 different wines and have it be just as fabulous. So that's there the either. great, that's the great problem that there are just so many good ones and it was hard to pick, but it was I, I guess the state fair next year, hopefully we'll do something similar again. Hopefully we'll have the actual wine garden again, but I hope that they will also continue this program because it's a, it's a neat one. Yes, it is. Is there anything else that you're um, excited about coming up on either on your calendar or new for Texas wine or.
1: You know, I'm, i yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, what the 2020 vintage is going to look like in the bottle. Um, you know, I'm excited to keep promoting Texas wine. Um I'm hoping as restaurants mo- you know, we're back at 75% now. I hope as we move into that 100% and where um, things start opening up even more, I'll be back on the road and visiting, you know, El Paso, Amarillo and back to Lubbock again and just all over Texas and just kind of keeping that message of, you know, ask for Texas wines on wine list, you know, again for all your listeners who go to restaurants and you know, I always say ask the question if they don't have any Texas wines on their wine lists, you know, ask why not one? You know, we're, we're always looking for at least one Texas wine on every wine list in the state of Texas. Because, again, I think the wines um, deserve that respect and recognition to be on, on lists across the state of uh, Texas. So um, we'll keep that message and keep that movement going forward on my end.
0: I love it, and the best way to keep in touch with uh, where you're going and the restaurants that you are visiting is on Instagram. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's usually it's. I usually will post something, either a story or a post, and kind of say I've been up here um, or I'm going here, and they can either see. Uh, <laughs> I make the joke. It's either wine, barbecue, or my boys. So that's exactly <laughs> what my Instagram looks like these days.
0: And I think you have an account that's specifically for. Texas yeah, Wine so, Ambassador. Yep.
1: So it's TX Wine Ambassador is the other account that I use. Um, and that's what I've been using more for when I do the um, photo ops with the restaurants. And with me not traveling as much, I've asked, I'm mailing them their certificates and I've asked them to tag me in that as they get their certificates in the mail and um, kind of keep that program going. And so hopefully we'll keep that program going and get the next uh, batch of restaurants on that Texas Wine Champion list.
0: Well, please let me know if there's ever anything I can do for you.
1: Yeah, appreciate your voice and what you're doing for the Texas wine industry.
0: One thing that Jason and I talked about when I did the Texas Wine Lover profile was that he wants people to stop drinking wine, expecting it to taste like wine from anywhere else. This really made an impression on me and has helped me come to appreciate Texas wine so much more. Now, when I taste a Texas Sangiovese, for instance, I'm not holding it up against every other Sangiovese I've ever had in my life. I'm just appreciating it for the wine that it is, a great Texas Sangiovese. I feel like Jason helped me make a breakthrough that day that was so important, and it ultimately set me on a journey to be a better wine taster, a better Texas wine taster, and maybe even set me on a journey to be a Texas wine podcaster. Jason, thank you for all you do for Texas wine. I wanted to spend some time exploring a great variety that has been getting a good bit of press here lately, and that's Vermentino. On a recent podcast, I mentioned that Wine Enthusiast had run an article about Vermentino, and it looked at Vermentino from around the world, including Texas, California, and Australia, as well as Vermentino's Mediterranean home regions of southern Italy and France. Specifically, that Wine Enthusiast article says that Vermentino has taken root throughout the state of Texas, but most notably from south of the panhandle, in the hill country, where it shows off its citrus-spiked tropical side. That article quotes Ron Yates, the president and owner of Spicewood Vineyards. He says that he believes Vermentino has a bright future in Texas, that it holds on to its crisp acidity and elegance, even in hot years. And it also mentions Paternalis Cellars, Bingham Family Vineyards, and William Chris as being producers of Vermentino in Texas. Well, Texas Vermentino is in the news again. This time, it's in a Forbes.com article by my friend Michelle Williams. Her article, Six Reasons to Fall in Love with Vermentino," was just published, and it gives six Vermentinos to try that she thinks that you'll fall in love with. The selection from Texas is the 2018 William Chris Vineyards, Mandola Vineyards Vermentino from the Texas Hill Country. Like the Dukeman Vermentino that's all in stainless steel, the William Chris version has spent nine months in French oak. 20% of that was new, and that's helped it to build an elegant and textural palette. I'm sorry to tell you, but this wine is sold out. Her article also quotes Betty Bingham, who says, You'll never know from tasting these high-quality wines that the grape is hit and miss. The fruit is very good quality, but the yields are low enough that it makes it hard to be sustainable. In Texas, Bingham Family Vineyards grows vermentino in the Texas High Plains AVA for themselves and three other producers. I thought that it was interesting that there were two articles about vermentino so close together. And to tell you the truth, I haven't given much thought to vermentino. So I spent a little bit of time over the past week doing a little research on this grape. And I'm going to share a few fast facts with you about vermentino. First of all, nearly half of all the Vermentino in the world is made in Sardinia, a large island about 200 miles off the coast of Italy in the western Mediterranean. It's also well known along the Italian Riviera and on the French island of Corsica. In Texas, there were only 27 bearing acres of Vermentino that were recorded by the state in 2019. That made it the 14th most popular white grape planted in Texas. Although that doesn't sound like a lot, it had grown between 2015 and 2019 by 286%. According to the Texas Wine Lover website, there are 17 Texas growers that have Vermentino planted. Vermentino is often compared to Sauvignon Blanc because of its crisp and zesty style. But there are ways to make Vermentino that yield a completely different style and give the wine more body and richness. In Provence, the grape is known as Roll, R-O-L-L-E, and it's used in the region's famous Rosé wines. According to Wine Folly, this is a wonderful wine to match with medium-weight dishes that play with rich herbs and spices. It has a great flavor intensity, and so you can match this wine with rich fish like halibut or even meat like fennel-spiced pork sausage. It's also a great wine to pair with garlicky dishes like pesto. Common aromas for Vermentino are lime, grapefruit, green apple, and almond. It has high acidity, but generally not as high as Sauvignon Blanc. It can be light to medium-bodied, although sometimes aging in oak gives it a richer body. The Wine Bible by Karen McNeil describes Vermentino from Sardinia is having aromas and flavors that mirror the dry, windswept island itself. She writes that they are evocative of wind-whipped dry brush and resinous herbs like wild rosemary, sage, and dry lavender. That made me wonder if the High Plains Vermentino will be evocative of wind-whipped dry brush from West Texas. Maybe so. The book Vino Italiano calls Vermentino one of Italy's most distinctive native white grapes and also mentions a very rare version of red Vermentino or Vermentino Nero that grows in Sardinia. In general, it's not a wine that's meant to be aged. I drink it young, while the fruit flavors are still fresh. It's much more common for Vermentino to be bottled as a single varietal wine than to be blended with other white grapes to make a blended wine. There are a couple of styles in Texas that have caught my eye. One is the Peternalis Vermentino. Peternalis won silver at the 2020 Finger Lakes competition with the 2018 Texas High Plains Vermentino. This one isn't on the website yet, but the 2017 is. For that wine, Peternalis used a blend of 75% Vermentino and 25% Viognier. The notes say that a small percent of the Vermentino is barrel-aged in French oak and acacia. And that adds some complexity, but the wine still maintains a crisp finish and delicate aromas and flavors. Perhaps a similar approach and mouthfeel as the William Chris Vineyards Vermentino that Michelle Williams wrote about in the Forbes article. Another approach that's way more out there is the Austin Winery's Vermentino. It's produced as an orange wine. That means that they let the Vermentino skins have contact with the juice for enough time that the juice takes on more color than is common for a white wine. And additional flavor components are released from the skins, too. We talked about this method recently when I drank the Ramato from C.L. Buteau. That's also an orange wine. Now, I haven't tasted either of these wines, the Austin Winery Vermentino or the Peternalis Vermentino, but I'd be curious to try them. And if you really wanted to see what Vermentino could do, you could try both of those alongside what is one of our most popular Texas white wines, and that is the Dukeman Family Winery Vermentino. The most common style that you'll find in Texas is the style utilized by the Dukeman Family Winery. It's made entirely of stainless steel with no oak. The style is one that's completely clean and crisp, and most similar to Sauvignon Blanc. The grapes for the Dukeman Vermentino are from the Bingham Family Vineyards in the Texas High Plains. It's widely available on restaurant wine lists and on store shelves. It also gets a lot of love from competitions and has won a lot of medals, and it's what I'm drinking today. What's offered on the website is the 2018, and I received a bottle of that from Texas Fine Wine, But I also found the 2017 on the shelf at my local Whole Foods. It was $17.99, so I was able to taste the two vintages side by side. The 2017 was a silver medalist at Texom 2019. It also won gold at the San Francisco Chronicle Awards in 2018 and a silver at San Francisco Chronicle Awards in 2020. In both competitions, it was the only Texas Vermentino to medal. Dukeman makes this wine entirely in stainless steel, so it doesn't have any richness or creaminess that the oak aging would provide. It finishes entirely crisp. It's a pure citrus and herbal salinity on the nose for me, with a zesty lime and sea salt aroma, maybe a touch of green melon or green pineapple. The 2018 had a more intense aroma, but it does finish dry and very clean. I was also able to get a bit of a floral characteristic on the nose on the 2018. I had a slight preference for the more recent vintage, but honestly, they're very similar. This would be a great food wine, especially with seafood. It's a medium-bodied wine with 13.8% alcohol. Of course, like Jason Hysaw said in our earlier interview, Dukeman specializes in Italian varieties, and this is their signature white wine. Thank you to Jeff Cope and the Texas Wine Lover website for helping promote this podcast and for being such strong supporters of Texas wine. Remember to visit txwinelover.com whenever you have a question about a Texas winery or a Texas vineyard. Recent posts have included winemaker profiles, wine reviews, and winery visits. That's txwinelover.com. And just a few reminders, please go to www.thisistexaswine.com for full show notes for this episode. There are links to everything I talked about. And while you're there, click newsletter sign up to subscribe to my monthly email newsletter. As a thank you, I'll send you my new Texas wine quiz that includes answers and find out if you're a Texas wine expert. Please subscribe to this podcast. You can subscribe in your podcast app and so you won't miss the next episode. It'll be out in two weeks, and if you subscribe, it will appear automatically in your podcast app. I'd love it if you would rate and review the show as well. I'm at Texas Wine Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I post original Texas wine content that you won't find anywhere else. We are fast approaching the start of Texas Wine Month, and I'm anticipating an active month on social media, so don't miss it. Thank you for listening to this episode of This is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all.